What a joyous delight we each have today on this beautiful Lord's Day morning to assemble on an occasion such as this one and to enjoy not only the beautiful, glorious notes that we've just sung together, these songs of hymns and praise unto God, but also to be encouraged and edified in light of the sin-sick world about us and the difficulties that Satan so often puts in our way. This occasion that brings us together like this, in which we have opportunity to look into the Word of God, you might have noted in the bulletin the title to today's lesson, Our Fathers Have Told Us, drawn from the opening verses of Psalm 78. We shall turn to that psalm in a few moments and read some sections of it. But might we note that our fathers have told us, perhaps by way of introduction, we've noted throughout this year already that a day set aside as Mother's Day last month in May, and just last Sunday a day set aside as Father's Day, it would be appropriate to all of us to reflect from time to time on many of the goodnesses and also the obligations set before us as parents as we look into the Word of God and allow it to direct and touch our lives in matters like this. Indeed, our fathers have told us. When we assemble on occasions like this one to contemplate and to allow God to, in fact, challenge us by His Word, it may at times not be the most pleasant thing to allow God to step on our toes, but from the perspective of eternity, it's good for us to be here. In fact, in Hebrews 10:25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. In fact, as we consider that times like this one, tonight, as well as Wednesday night, what better place on earth could there be to come together with those of like precious faith and to be challenged by God's Word, and if we're living in harmony with it, to be reaffirmed to that fact. Thus, let us joyously appreciate this opportunity today. Many on our list who are mentioned as sick can't be here, though they would much like to be, no doubt. As we think about them in prayer, and as we make mention of our fathers have told us, today I wonder what things might our fathers have told us. What might be some lessons that Dad, no doubt in his wisdom, and Mother as well, might have shared with each of us in the times we were growing up, things drawn directly from the nature of God's revelation, that not only set before us the pertinence of this life and what was most important in it, but also from the perspective perhaps of even the hereafter. I thought it interesting to note something about how important the word Father does seem to be in the Bible. Isn't it amazing that that word or some form thereof occurs over 1,700 times in the Bible? That's remarkable, isn't it? That that word is used that many times. In light of that, might we notice that honor is uniformly pronounced upon father and mother as something that should be given to them from the children? Not only is that an Old Testament decree, having been mentioned more than once there, but even the New Testament. Ephesians 6 verse 2, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. As you and I then, perhaps last Sunday, as well as the Sunday in May, especially honored our parents, might we, may have, might we strive to do that far more often than just twice a year. That honor, you see, also implies that they have performed their obligations and their duties in an appropriate way. The Bible is not silent about the, about the duties and responsibilities that accord to parenthood. And perhaps those of us who are parents could be reminded as we study this lesson today, for those who are not yet parents but someday will be, 
perhaps to come to grips with the thought of what God has to say about what it means to be an appropriate and to be an honorable parent. Our fathers indeed have told us, among the responsibilities and among the duties given to parents, are there some that are more important than others? Is there one that stands most important of all? We shall seek to answer that before our lesson concludes today. But as we begin a consideration of Psalm 78, might we notice that one of the first things that seems to be apparent from verse numbers 2 and 3, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. Our fathers have told us the consideration that Father took upon Himself to share with the children, to inform them of not only that which has taken place in His life, but that which has been the case even in generations former. There is something to be said about a father who is ready for that responsibility. Let's pause a moment and reflect upon what it means to be ready for fatherhood. For isn't it true that we live in a rather sordidly sad time in which so many are able to conceive a child but not ready to be its father, really? In fact, isn't it sh utterly shocking to consider some of the following considerations? You and I well know we live in a time of great sexual freedom, in which so often those who are not married to one another nonetheless strive to enjoy the intimacy that's supposed to be reserved for that state. And all the while, on many occasions, no doubt, due to protection or otherwise, conception never occurs. Even then, they ought not think they've escaped the full consequences. They have still sinned in the sight of God and will give answer for their failure to abide by His will. But on the other hand, we know there are many times that conception does occur. A new life is conceived in the womb of that mother. Sadly enough, what do we find? These two who have tried to enjoy the pleasures of the marriage state have now conceived a child when neither one wanted it. In fact, doesn't that lead to so many of the abortions in our land? That they have tried to, in fact, enjoy that which was never reserved for them. And this life has been conceived, a life that neither one wants, at least one of the two in many instances. In fact, isn't it amazing that worldwide, over 112 million abortions took place not many years back. That means worldwide, 115,000 died every day by abortion. 115,000. One can't help but just stagger at such a figure as that. And 93% of the time, that was the result of the following circumstance. A child that was conceived that was either unwanted or inconvenient. A child that was either unwanted or inconvenient. They had sex, enjoying the fruitfulness and fullness thereof, but they didn't want the responsibility that followed it. That's tragic. We see then one of the blessings is a dad and a mother who wanted that child who were anxious and looked forward to the blessing of God vouchsafed to them. For isn't it still true from Psalm 127? As the statement there is made about the blessing of children, blessed is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Psalm 127 verse 3. For it's still the statement therein made that children are in heritage of the Lord. 
we should be so appreciative and thankful for those fathers and mothers who wanted those children, who were thankful they came into the world and who looked forward to striving to be the best of a father or a mother that they could be. Certainly not that they wanted to get rid of them or to end the pregnancy or to take the life. The sadness to be seen in that perhaps helps us see that the biblical family is a family that provides the ideal circumstance for the proper environment of a child. Mankind may often have posed and presented various concepts and ideas of what is the best environment for a child to be nurtured and raised. There's never been an improvement on God's arrangement. Never. A loving father, a loving mother, a dad and mom who not only love each other but love that child. That's what makes an ideal arrangement of a family for the rearing of that child. As that environment is set forth, our fathers have told us. They in wisdom would have warned us about the character of behaving appropriately and in right conduct so that when one reaches that stage of finding that mate that one wishes to spend one's life with, you can enter into that anxiously awaiting the time to become a dad and a mom, to become the appropriate father and mother to that child. As our fathers have told us, does the Bible not warn on many occasions in a variety of ways about the difficulty that follows those consequences when that sexual relation is shared outside marriage? In fact, that's not just a modern matter. In Exodus 20, as the Ten Commandments were given, what was it the Lord through Moses told Israel? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Later in Exodus, chapter 21 and 22, statements and warnings were given that protected the character of that wonderful marriage state and that the ladies and the men themselves were not to be defiled. The thought of all of that perhaps redounds later to we see in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Might we often reflect on the distinct character of the two parts of that verse. The wonderful blessing of marriage, the fact it's undefiled, but on the other hand, to those who strive to enjoy its favor without the blessing of God's divine marriage, whoremongers, that is to say fornicators, same word in Greek, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Those thoughts alone lead us to see that even the command of Acts 15, 20 is ever so realistic for us today. The Gentiles were told, abstain from fornication. That is a New Testament Christian commandment just as much as any other. May we thus strive to teach our children as fathers and mothers, abstain from fornication. But not only that matter might well be what fathers have told us. Let us consider another. What about some of those other responsibilities that dad and mom perhaps encouraged us to know? First of all, no doubt an easy to see responsibility and obligation of a father and mother. Love those children. We've hinted at that earlier in that in many instances, over 115,000 apparently, a child was conceived but wasn't wanted. A child was conceived but it was inconvenient to raise it. A new life is not mere an inconvenience. A new life is a precious immortal spirit made in the image and likeness of God, Genesis 1.26, and should be cared for with all the love that God has for any of His children. Love your children. In Titus 2 verse 4, women especially, their mothers are told to love their children. 
as often as we see verses that shall occur in just a few moments, fathers too are admonished to have a love for those who are their sons and daughters, to appreciate all the specialness that accords to them, to understand that they are as every bit unique as any specific entity imaginable. Though they came from father and mother, they are like identically neither one. They are their, their own person in many respects, but how eternally special they truly are. As those thoughts themselves present themselves, what does it mean to love them? That word is indeed read in many different ways by folks in our day and time. Love ultimately, as the word is employed in the scriptures, means to act in one's best interest toward. What is the best interest of that child? That's the way the parent ought to behave. And the parent should strive to ever behave toward that child in what will be their best interest not only now, but hereafter. In their years not only that follow upon earth, but even from the eternal perspective, what is genuinely in their best interest. It's easy to appreciate that that consideration of what's in their best interest is often looked at differently from the parent as it is from the child. In particular, let's look at some specific cases. Is it not true that a part of those obligations, as you see next on the screen, to provide for their physical needs? A child, we understand, that enters the world can't provide for its own needs at that point. It can't provide for its food, its shelter, its clothing. It is absolutely dependent in every way upon someone parents are supposed to be those, as stated by God, to meet the needs of that child, to provide its food, to put clothes on its back, to put a roof on its head, to provide for those things necessary for its physical well-being in this world. Many passages testify to thoughts like that. In Luke 11, beginning in verse 9, specifically continuing on to verse 13, our Lord made a rather dramatic statement as he was striving to teach the goodness of God toward the human family. He, in fact, said, If a son asks bread of his father, will his father give him a stone? If he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he asks an egg, will he give him a scorpion? And the answers in all instances are obvious. The Lord was asking a rhetorical question. Can any loving father give a snake to his son who is asking for something to eat? Well, of course not. Can any loving father or mother hand him a scorpion when he wanted an egg? The answer again is self-evident, isn't it? And the Lord's point is, no loving father would do that. But rather a father in love will sacrifice and inconvenience himself to all extent if that's what's required to provide for the needs physically of that son or that daughter. The Lord's point in the next verse was, if you know how to, gi to give good gifts to your children, shouldn't God know how to give good gifts to those that are His own, to give the Holy Spirit to them? Notice the Lord used the word good. Those precious physical gifts are good things, and you and I love to give them to our children. We know they need them, and we know that it makes their life an improved thing here. But notice what else might be said that's not included in a listing like that. He didn't say to give them all that they want. Many times that child has not seasoned the character of experience and wants many things that really are not in his or her best interest. They want what's not good for them at that time. 
a parent has to say no. A parent has to encourage them, perhaps they won't understand it then, but to realize that's not right now what is best for you. Notice also that the Lord doesn't require to provide great extravagance. He says to meet their needs, and we enjoy providing for them, but it doesn't mean to empty the bank account just because they want it. Isn't it interesting how that love manifests itself in ways like that? Perhaps seen in 1 Timothy 5.8. In a context that dealt there with the taking care of widows, but the principle is wonderfully broad, isn't it? That those who will not take care of their own have denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. If you and I believe in God and trust His Scriptures, we know that as parents and love for those children to provide for them and to do so with a degree of happiness and joy, not again meeting every want they might have or striving to go to great lengths of extravagance and luxury. We enjoy to make them happy, but we also want to do that which is right. Meeting their physical needs comes under that consideration. And one of the things that seems to harmonize so well with that is that wonderful principle enunciated in God's Word to help them see the value of work and the principle of reward in return for that work. You and I do our children no favor if they don't grow up understanding that. If they think the whole world is just supposed to give them everything they ever need and want, for no employer is going to do that. An employer expects a day's work in return for a day's pay. We need to help them see from an early age the principle of work. For isn't it still true that what Paul affirmed in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10, that if a man won't work, neither should he eat. We need to help them appreciate that. Solomon in the book of Proverbs more than once addressed that, didn't he? In Proverbs 10 verse 4, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. If we allow them to develop a mindset of laziness, life will not be kind to them. They will often have a difficult time maintaining a job, paying their debts, meeting their other obligations. They need to learn to work and to appreciate that God will show favor and take care of those who are diligent and do not work with a slack hand. Three chapters later in Proverbs 13, 11, And if they desire to advance in this world, the means by which to attain it is by honest labor, not by taking advantage, not by trying to be coy and sly and deceitful. For the Lord there declared, or Solomon declared, the importance of obtaining the goodness of the land by virtue of working for it. That's one of the things perhaps our Father shared with us, isn't it? The importance of work and the labor that comes with it and the reward to be expected. But that's not all that parents have obligation for. Notice there are other things perhaps also physical in character, but I chose to list them differently. There are emotional responsibilities, emotional obligations that are mine and yours as parents. In fact, consider some passages. We have obligation not only to put clothes on their back and a roof over their head and food in their stomach, but also to meet those needs of life that are psychological in character, to where not only do they know that they're loved, but they share a sense of comfort and feel a sense of guidance, and also understand the nature of encouragement. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 11, a monumental text in that as Paul discussed his dealings with the Thessalonian brethren, he made this note, As we labored amongst you, 
and exhorted you and encouraged you and comforted you and charged you even as a father doth his children. Notice that he made comparison of how he had interacted with the Thessalonians. But notice he asserted that as a father doth his children. A father thus should seek to implement a degree of self-esteem so that children can appreciate that not only are they individual individuals, <clears throat> excuse me, but that they can understand a sense of comfort and guidance and that they've been charged correctly. In life, so often the world seeks to beat one down. And there are people that you and I know who do that. Maybe they're unaware that they do. But a father should not discourage his children in the sense of leading them to anger. Colossians 3.21 Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. When the self-will of a person is broken, we know they may never fully recover from that. As we encourage them, we understand that that often will involve a sternness. Because when mistakes are made, they must be treated that way and not covered over or ignored or overlooked, but rather in a sense of well-being so that the child knows what has been said has been said in love, not in vengeance, not in hatred, not in a desire to in fact defeat or lead to a self-promotion of that which isn't right. To say all that is to say parents then have a challenging responsibility for the reason we mentioned earlier, every child is unique. The way you encourage self-esteem in one may be different than the way you would do another. Everyone is different in that regard. Parents then in wisdom must respect the differences, certainly never showing partiality, never in fact looking one and ignoring the other. Jacob did that and the family never fully recovered from it as we remember what occurred with regard to Isaac and his sons Jacob and Esau in Genesis 25 and following. As those thoughts perhaps are presented, they almost directly lead to the matter of discipline. When mistakes are made and matters must be corrected, discipline is a necessary part of parenthood. It is not pleasant. It is not fun. It is something that can be one of the most challenging exercises of any parent. It's not fun to see the child spanked or whipped, but you know it must be done at times. Why? For reasons that we're about to see. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 5, far back in the early Old Testament law of Moses era, there even the prophet Moses, speaking for God, declared that even as the Lord chasteneth his sons, men must chase their, chasten their sons. It is a matter that because God loves us, He chastens us, Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. And in fact, the point therein is made, if a father doesn't chasten his son, maybe they're not his children. Maybe he doesn't love them. And isn't that a necessary conclusion? And that's the whole point of the Hebrew writer. God chastens us because He loves us, and a father will chasten his children because He loves them. In Proverbs 13, 24, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Notice the wise man of old declared that degree of wisdom in paddling them, whipping them from time to time, not abusing them now, but rather a kind spanking. Now notice it's a hard matter for the father, for the mother as well. It isn't fun to see them cry. It isn't fun to see them disciplined. But you know it's for their betterment. 
and in the long run for their well-being and for their goodness to learn a lesson they'll never forget. Perhaps you and I can remember Dad saying, I know it'll hurt you more than it does me, and maybe you didn't believe him. But when you become a father, then you know very well what he meant. For it's an agonizing matter in anguish and spirit to see the discipline that must be done, but you know in love that it must be. It is a shirking of responsibility before them and God to not do it. And that's basically what the Scripture declares. Later in the book of Proverbs, we also read in chapter 29, verse 15, about another attitude or perspective on that discipline of a child. There he said, a, a son left to himself will bring his mother to shame. How often have you and I seen that an undisciplined child can often be the very one who later brings so sore regret upon dad and mother, what they must endure because of what they never disciplined him when he was young? In fact, David, though the great king of the Old Testament he was, one thing would have to be admitted. He didn't discipline Adonijah the way he should have. Read 1 Kings chapter 1. The text even says that Adonijah was never apparently restricted necessarily so by his dad. And Adonijah wasn't the kindest of individuals for that either. You see, we do them a disservice if we don't discipline them. We allow them to think that what they've done is acceptable. Their mate will one day regret that. Their own children will one day regret it. And at the day of judgment, they may sorely regret it. You and I do a great service when we discipline them properly. But to say all that is to say we have one matter left. We've looked at several responsibilities and obligations of, of a parent to provide for their physical needs, their emotional needs, and even to discipline when, when involved and required. Which of those is the most important responsibility? Which one towers above the others in necessary significance? May I submit we have one more slide. Let's look at the greatest of the responsibilities yet. We read of it in Psalm 78 just a few minutes ago. I'd invite you to turn back and let's read together the first eight verses of that chapter. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Putting it all in context, the meaning is so forceful. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children." that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. What is the most significant, the most important responsibility of a father? As is laid before us in the opening verses of Psalm 78, what is it our fathers have told us? Our fathers in verses 5 through 8 told us about what God has done and to instill within that child a recognition of praising God and to then speak it to their own children and finally that their hope in verse 7 might be in God and that they'd never forget the commandments of the Lord. By far, that's the most significant responsibility of any parent. 
to put stomach, food in their stomach and a roof on their head and clothes on their back, no doubt one cannot fail to appreciate the importance of that. But from the, from the perspective of eternity, how long do those blessings last? The clothes on their back, the roof on their head, those things won't last. There come a time that all that shall remain is a standing before God in judgment, and then, and then, where shall that child be? Will they be ready to meet God in judgment and enter into heaven, having been faithful? No doubt encouraged, prodded, and instructed by a loving father and mother, or due to the dereliction of those duties by dad and mom, will that child stand there sorely regretful, never obeyed the gospel, never came to know the truth, never knew the word of God, that's a sobering thought to reflect upon, isn't it? Where do you and I stand as we look at what else is contained in those verses? In verses 2 through 4, praising of the Lord. Do our children see us praise God? Do we bring them to services and make sure we participate with them? As parents, we should. Notice also in verses 5 and 6, the understanding of the limited usefulness of other kinds of knowledge. You and I should assist them to be successful in this life, teaching them that principle of work and reward. But in the final analysis, that good job they may obtain, will it get them to heaven? No. On the day of judgment, God's not going to look at bank accounts or look at what job you and I held. He's going to look at, were you obedient to this? Did you give your life in humble submission to the commandments of the Scriptures? And no parent can do a finer job anywhere in anything than aiding to instill within those children the importance of this book, what it stands for and what it means, and obeying it fully throughout life. When our fathers have told us that, we should be so thankful for them. We should appreciate them so very much, for they were, had it right. Not only did they strive to meet our physical needs, but the character of what God has taught them and what they shared with us that we can share with our children ultimately to stand ready before God. That's a wonderful thing. What a great honor and blessing it is to pay respect to a dad and a mother like that. But notice in verses 7 and 8, might we notice that great hope that's therein mentioned. You see, a dad and a mother that are again wise will understand hope set in this life is a hope that isn't very deep. It's rather shallow. It doesn't have a far-reaching impact and perspective but a hope that stretches beyond the grave, that to see perhaps generations long since gone again in the glories of heaven and to instill within a child the love of God's Word, nothing is finer than that. As we perhaps close the lesson this Lord's Day morning, having showed forth the respectfulness to dad and mother who in fact have met the obligation set before them, we should perhaps pause to say, nobody is perfect. No dad and mother will stand before you and honestly say, I never made a mistake. For we all know, if you've been in that position, that there are many times situations arise and it's not clear which way is the best, but you do the best you can with what you have in the situation before you. Children should learn to respect that and understand that the day will come, they will have those same kinds of decisions and then they'll see the difficulty that often is set before you. But may we respect and honor dad and mother when our fathers have told us. To close our lesson today, in summary to what we've learned, we have seen that one of the first things is a father who looked forward to the responsibility, who didn't conceive a child and then 
perhaps become a deadbeat father and showed no interest in that child, but who in fact was desirous of being a part of the child's life. What's more, then to see the need to supply the physical part of life, the emotional aspects as well, disciplining when necessary, and finally, the most significant responsibility of all, to show forth the love of God, the instilling of the nature of God's Word, and to set before them the hope of eternity. Today, let us be thankful for fathers and mothers around our land who do that, and may we strive to be one of them. Today, are you a Christian? Have you turned your life over to the cause of the Master? Are you setting before your children such that you can say, Our fathers have told us? If you have, then you perhaps should be well blessed in your attempt to be a parent. And may you continue long throughout life to be just like that. But if you haven't been the kind of parent you'd like to be, perhaps you need to let others know that you're going to make a change, even your children to know that. We could pray with you today for you for forgiveness of what sins may be in your life, and then you could proceed to walk forward faithfully until death. If you've never become a Christian, you need to become one today. Jesus died for you. He shed his blood to cleanse your sin. If you've never become a Christian, you need to believe. Perhaps you already do, but you need to repent of your sins, confess his name as Lord and Master, and be buried in baptism. If we could help you do that today, Brother Harold has chosen number 32 as a song of encouragement, and if we could be of assistance to you, it would be an honor to help you even now while together we stand and while we sing.